Hello, and welcome to the Gifted Ed Podcast. We are your hosts, Angel Van Howe, Gifted Coordinator and SCL Facilitator, and Megan McCarthy, Social Worker. We are grateful for the opportunity to share this space with you today as we talk about the complexities of giftedness. So let's get started. In today's episode, we will continue our conversation with Robin Spiesman and Catherine Wilkie about components of executive functioning and how they present within our gifted community. Robin Spiesman has an executive functioning coaching business and consultation practice named Refocus. The students who end up transferring to a gifted school after they've been in the public school, they go through a pretty serious transition period of feeling different because they were like at the top, probably 5% of their class in these public schools, and now they end up with these students who are very similar to them and even, you know, some of them higher level, and I hear that in my office quite often is, I was the top and now I feel like I'm at the bottom. Katie Wilkie is the owner of Imagination Therapy, PLLC a speech-language pathology and executive functioning coaching business. I think of organization in short, it's how do you manage space? How can we make it more efficient? And then you trial it and you run it. So if you put the drop-off bin for your homework at the door, they won't lose it from door to desk or things like that. Does your space facilitate the goal? By the end of this episode, you'll be more knowledgeable about the following executive functioning components shifting and flexibility, social awareness and perspective taking, organization and planning. You will also hear examples about student challenges within these areas, as well as reasons why these challenges present in student experiences. So as we start thinking through the next component of shifting and flexibility, how can we approach this this component of executive functioning? So a lot of this has to do with how a student kind of adjusts to like something that's unplanned, like an unplanned change. Kids who are gifted, though, really struggle with the shift component of this, which is they get a little bit stuck in their heads about um, how they did maybe on um, an exam in a class or if they were maybe embarrassed of a comment they made in a class. Then they leave that class and go to the next class, and they're so stuck on their thoughts with um, how they did and like you know, they were, or did other people think, you know, that they Mm -hmm. did something that was embarrassing, like the way they feel. And so they are so stuck on those thoughts that they have trouble moving on to the next class where class is continuing to go on. They're missing all that information. Lack of attention, right? Lack of attention because they're so distracted by their internal thoughts and kind of stuck. And that teacher has no concept of what happened because they were not part of the previous experience. I mean, just that carryover, how difficult it can be. Right. And with these kids having such high expectations for themselves where they want to perform well and they want to do well and they, you know, have this desire for attention where they really seek approval and validation from their peers and other adults, they can really get stuck in their thoughts. It could also be a cognitive shift issue, like if they're working on a math problem and they're like working yeah. through it and it's not working and they keep trying the same approach over and over and it's like they don't like use that uh, talk about impulse control like they don't stop for a second and think right. okay this is not working for me i need to hold <laughs> off here and try a different approach or go ask for help because they get kind of stuck in their ways the um i think that uh something to add that comes up all the time in the gifted population at least is the concept of perfectionism you see the kid who writes the letter and then he erases it and rewrites it and erases it and re- mm-hmm. and you go hey hey what what are you doing there's there's a little bit of a um understanding again understanding the goal you don't have to write a perfect letter there. What does it mean to get a perfect letter? And then you can get into, as Robin had mentioned, some of those anxiety-related components of, well, if it isn't good, then what? Yeah. 
It's so funny. I ex- I exactly had that example because it was actually a student that I had observed. And the teachers called me to do an observation because they're like, we don't understand. This child is four years above their peers academically in math. Why is this child not getting their math done? So I sat behind the child and I watched. Literally, the child rewrote the number two 15 times mm-hmm. on an equation. And there was a hole in the paper right. by the end of wow. it. And just watching. So the parent, you know, the, everybody was thinking, well, is it like an attention related issue? Like, what is it related to? And it was definitely the perfectionism yeah. and wanting that number. And the number, I saw the number, it looked perfect the first time the student wrote it. But <laughs> yeah. this is why, then I understand why when the parents call and say like, why is their homework taking three hours? The school is telling me they shouldn't have three hours of yeah. homework. Well, if you're rewriting this well, number that many times. And it shows how perfectionism impacts your executive functions. You know, and we we don't necessarily link the two together. Right. You, know? you need your flexibility to understand that this is good and that is good. You need to have a diversity of understanding of good, successful outcomes. Otherwise, keep doing it. And this is like an over-focus issue, really, where yeah. they over-focus on something, where they block out everything else going on, so they're missing what else is going on in uh-huh. the class again because right. they're over-focused yes. on this. Which point. can sometimes be applauded or supported right as Mm -hmm, to be a positive thing which it can be but it's then often you don't see there's also difficulty with that too right high interests and asynchronous development again right yeah Yeah. we just keep repeating ourselves and this is the this is the issue with executive functioning is there is either a ripple effect where one affects the other and the other or there's like this just circle that continues where you keep hitting upon each executive function when you're trying to figure out what's the main cause because it's really hard to find a core cause for executive function skills and probably Mm -hmm. a both and versus Mm -hmm. an either or kind of exactly Yeah. yeah i like that So moving into more of the social piece, um, when we think about social awareness and and perspective taking, how do those pieces affect executive functioning? So this is kind of one that I see uh, in the list as slightly different from the other ones because uh, this one's relying on the ability to predict another person. And to predict another person, you have to understand their context and you have to understand what they might do and they might not be following what I call the social contract in the first place. So the the big thing about social awareness and perspective taking is, first of all, understanding how what I'm doing is going to trigger somebody else. I know, for example, if I get a nice gift, an unexpected nice gift, I'll feel good about it. I'll be happy. If somebody brought me, say, a box of... Well, a, a, ni- a nice one would be a box of cupcakes. But if somebody brought me like a box of unsharpened pencils, I might have a neutral or con- like, oh, thank you. This is nice. But th- I wouldn't understand the intention behind it. There is this unspoken inference, social inference of why somebody does what they do. And when I talk to these so kids, yes, yes. So when I talk to these kids, I'm I'm really telling them why that happened. And they all very much want to know, why did I do something wrong? Why didn't they just tell me I was being weird? Well, people can't tell you that you're being weird because that's not nice. And they know that that would make you feel bad. So they don't. And then you get into this kind of difficult spiral. The other piece that comes in for a lot of young kids, especially teenagers, they're already busting the social contract. They're doing it on purpose. They're trying to test boundaries. So kids often, gifted kids will often socialize with adults much easier because adults understand Absolutely. the contract, they'll accommodate, 
Yes, we will be predictable for them. And other kids do not want to be predictable, do not think that you're predictable. And the, the last piece of it that I think is very big, especially on social media and everything these days, is that when somebody is unpredictable, they are registered in our brain as dangerous. And it's a danger. And so our fight and flight and freeze and what's the other one? Friend and fall, I think it is, like you're laying on the floor. But anyway, there's that that gets triggered. And now you see this other person who might have not made a major offense is a danger to you. And so that's where we get a lot of that self-regulation. And so if I don't understand the social inference of what's supposed to happen, everything is unexpected. And I'm constantly being triggered into my fight and flight. And I'm constantly afraid of what's going on. So now nothing is safe. So I'm freaking out all the time. That's such an empathetic way to phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. So these, to tell them what are the rules, I mean, I challenge everybody listening could you define social rules? They change depending on right. your age and right. your context. context. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. So it's kind of like, oh, God, oh, I wish I had the answer. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> and we've then, got more tools than that, fortunately. But within the gifted profile, and too, that social justice piece and, and high, high standard, right, of behavior for ourselves and for our peers is also another piece that oh, yeah. further complicates. Well, and leaving the gifted school, these kids are going to go out and act like little adults which will be a problem to other teenagers. Uh-huh. It will be, why are you acting like that? That's you must unexpected. Be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. For you to be this adulty right. is uncomfortable for me. And what I see a lot in these populations is that high school is a real struggle. And then they get to college and they really find their people. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. oh, God, you want to talk about physics with me? This is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And it's great. And, yeah. and then they yeah. do much better. But that high school piece is really challenging because they've only successfully socialized with adults most of the time mm-hmm. or other divergent kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, organization. So this is probably the most obvious component of executive functioning to those who are new, I guess, or, or haven't really dived into all the complexities of it. Um, so how, how can we frame organization? It, you know, it's really having a designated place for your belongings, if you're talking about the actual materials, mm-hmm. um, but also having a system where you are organized in your thinking, which is more of the planning piece. Um, but this is the one that has the ripple effect. So if a student comes in and they're disorganized, their backpack's disorganized, it affects their time management, which affects their ability to have what they need to study, which affects their grades, and so on. So sometimes like the core of helping with an organization system is key. Mm-hmm. And I notice the kids that I see who are gifted have their own organization system sometimes. And I don't always mess with that if it's working for them. Right. You agree, right? Uh, yeah, 100%. But there's some that are like, I mean, they open it up and there's like accordions yeah. of paper on the bottom and everything's, you know, really messed up in there. So I know it's really hard um, to teach them how to use an organization system when they never have. Mm-hmm. So I always say like, let's do this for one day. Just one day. And when they do it for one day, let's do it tomorrow. And I do check-ins through texting when I'm doing coaching to give them a chance to kind of learn this new system. Because if you say, let's try to do this for the rest of the semester, the rest of the quarter, it's just too big. Yeah. I I think of organization in short, it's space. How do you manage space? Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be done, space can be organized by time. So if you put the drop-off bin for your homework at the door... 
they won't lose it from door to desk or things like that. Yeah. Um, if somebody has their own organizational system, that's great. Um, I think that they need to also have it be efficient. And that's where we come into troubles is, well, I like having my things lined up one, two, three, and I'll just count <laughs> through it. Well, no, because you've got right. 30 seconds to get your books out. Um, if you give them, again, I, I, I would suggest talk to these kids too. Well, how can we make it more efficient? Do you know what efficient means? Why does it have to be? Okay, let's fix it in there. And then you trial it and you run it. But it's, does your space facilitate the goal? Yeah. I have kids who could live on a deserted island for a week with what's in their backpacks. Yeah. But, but, but some of it is based yeah. out of anxiety. Anxiety. And like, oh, my God, yeah. what if I don't have water and I'm thirsty? What if yeah. What if I something happens to my clothes and they get dirty and I don't have an extra shirt to wear? Like, there's, there's, there's a lot of there's planning. Yeah. For yeah. Their right. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of planning, it just seems that it seems organization is so impacted by that planning process and sequencing. I mean... I'm a former kindergarten teacher, right? Yeah. So even something as simple as saying, okay, we're going to you know, color this picture with our markers. Well, where are your markers? You have to take your marker out. Oh, you lost your cap. Now you're distracted by where the cap is, right? And then I got how much marker do I on color? My fingers. When do I stop? <laughs> yeah. So there's, there are so many steps involved with so many activities. And I just think, you know, unless you're honed in on it, you, you, know, you overlook it. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I just think that planning is such a part of that. Well, and that is the the last component. So um, to bring us to the last one with time management and planning, um, can we kind of elaborate and kind of talk through how that that last piece is so crucial with executive functioning? The the phrase that came up over and over and over in all the trainings that I've ever done is make time visible. And teachers are teaching this all the time, probably don't even realize it. We've got a bell schedule. We've got the schedule on the board. When you're doing the coloring, there's probably instructions on the top of the page that say color the circles red or, you know, color number two with the light blue. Or you have it up on the board where you say, number one, everybody go and get your markers. Okay, now we're all sitting. Number two, we're all going to get our mark. We do it together and we instruct them one step at a time. And the thing about time management and planning has to do with the ability to, uh, we call it perspective memory, the ability to remind ourselves to remember, or the ability to even think about the future at all. Okay. Um, and the, the sad part is the ability to think of the future. So I recently read a stat that even at the high school level, you are only able to conceptualize two to three weeks ahead. And in the middle school age, it's something like two days. Wow. Wow. So you... That's enlightening. Yes. <laughs> and it makes so much sense. When I read it, I was like, oh, man, of course. And again, it doesn't mean we shouldn't teach them how. Sure. But right. you need a compensation then. You need a tangible tool, an anchor, because time... Is oh, time's the all my yeah. kids hate time because it just keeps going. You know, in a video game, you can pause, 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 pause. Okay, everybody, time out. With real life time, yeah. it just keeps going. If your homework is due at 8 a.m. the next day and it's 7 p.m. and you know that mom and dad say go to bed at nine, there's no amount of procrastination you can do anymore. You're, you We're are here. done. It's <laughs> it. Yeah. And then the urgency usually peaks. Mm hmm. 
So they could have done it before. So how far in advance can they see to go, oh, I could put this off to the last minute and it will get done and it will be fine, even though they're a mess the whole time. But if you can do it now, wouldn't it be better so that you can relax later? They can't conceptualize it all the time. And and then when they're in school all day, everything's planned for them. They have a schedule. Like you said, the bell right. rings, go to your next class. They don't have to decide anything for themselves. But when they get home and they have to start planning and figuring out what to do and how long it's going to take and when to do it, that's really a problem because everything's really done for them in school. Yeah, that makes and, so much sense. Hmm. So after listening to all these components, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, it just seems like attention is a significant one. So I just wanted to circle back to that. And, and Robin, would you mind highlighting a little bit more about that for us? So before when Katie was talking about the different components of attention, the focus, sustained, alternating, and divided attention, and you were talking about um, the different skills needed to sit in a class and take notes, like this is the biggest issue. So you have kids, and from a neuropsych perspective, when again, when you have these kids who have um, like eye-hand coordination issues, slow processing, dysgraphia, where they can't read their writing. You know, there's other components involved in the note-taking and the dividing, the shifting of attention. It really gets to be a problem when they're trying to, like, listen to the teacher, look at the smart board, look down, write their notes, while they're still trying to process the next bit of information mm. that's coming mm-hmm. in. And that's when you start to see, like, behavioral and emotional issues kick in, like the anxiety, the depression. They get home, they're like, I, I don't even know what to do for my homework because I missed the second part because I got so lost, I just stopped listening yeah. or, or things like that. And so I, I equate this to an example I give parents all the time because I feel like it's a really good visual for the kids as well. If you've ever been to a batting cage before, right? so you, you get in the batting mm-hmm. cage and you get ready to bat, right? Mm-hmm. So you're standing there, you got the bat, somebody puts in a coin and the ball shoots out mm-hmm. and you hit the ball. You're fine, right? Mm -hmm. And then you reset yourself. The ball comes again. You hit the ball. Now someone's like, wow, you're a really good batter. You're hitting all those. I'm just going to turn up the speed now. (laughs) Pacing. Right? Yeah. Then you're like, wait, I'm missing the ball. I can't do it. Slow it down. Slow it down. Now it looks like you can't bat, but you can bat. It's just the information's coming in too quickly for you. Right. And I think that when I give that example, they're like, aha, that's exactly what's happening. Mm -hmm. And since it is very difficult to... um, make processing speed faster it's what you do is you you prime the kid prior to coming into class on what's going to happen the next day Mm -hmm. so that they have some kind of knowledge base and they can make connections to the new information coming in and that helps them process the information understand it so that you know they can that makes so so much sense yeah Yeah. i I think it's really important uh what you're saying robin to talk about priming and then guided notes even because all of us will have a daydream and then feel mortified that we don't right. know what's happening. Guilty of that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think that it should be normalized to say, oops, oh, I was not paying attention. Can we repeat that? Yep. Or to have something on the board or in front of you that says, this is where we are now, so that you can scan and figure it out without losing too much time without losing too much information. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think if if we can remember that kids are just young grown-ups and that we all have very similar experiences. Well, and that perfectionistic that. piece too, right? Like, oh, yeah. no, now I've missed it. I feel embarrassed. I don't want to say yeah. anything. I'm just going to fake it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or catastrophic. I missed it, so it's gone. Yeah. I have no social perspective taking to understand. I can right. ask for it. I lost yeah. it. 
it's gone. I'm now a bad person, and I have fa- and it's like this language is too right. extreme. Let's <laughs> yep. chill it back. Yeah, right. yeah, really important point, Robin. Uh, so for our final question, um, you've both worked with gifted students. What vulnerabilities could present for gifted students when they have challenges with with executive functioning compared to their non-gifted peers? Sure. So the the biggest thing that I see is the self-esteem struggles. Uh, these kids usually, while they're, they've got that asynchronous development, they're highly aware. Um, usually the gifted population has a keen ability to recognize patterns. Mm. And they might not know why the patterns are happening. They might not understand what caused the pattern to begin, but they see it. And so they are very aware very often that they are different. And not to mention, even when we're well-intentioned, to keep telling them, you're special, you're special, wow, you're so good. They have an experience of being exceptional, which means relatively uh, normal or average behavior is very bad. Right. And to have bad async, like delayed development relative to their strength is so dissonant that it causes a feeling of, well, if that thing that I do is so good, then this thing must be so bad because good and bad are dichotomous. These two words go together. And now we're actually uh, unintentionally, of course, telling them that their other parts are bad. Mm. And and that's what I see actually the most. And when we say, wow, you know, that's really good, but this other thing is really hard, they get so excited to talk to somebody about something that's hard for them. Right. They don't like it. Don't get me right. wrong. And they yeah. certainly don't want it. Like <laughs> right. the, the parents listening will be like, yeah, right. They're not going <laughs> to talk to me about that. But the point is when they talk to e- even other students, they're very literal, as Robin had said. So you can't say, well, you're good at reading and they're good at math. No, they'll just see that that person's good at math and they're bad at math. Mm-hmm. Um, so building up sort of that normalcy of the language that we use for adequacy and averageness or struggle. Or growth mindset. Growth, growth mindset, yeah. absolutely. And the students who end up transferring to a different, to a gifted school after they've been in the public school, they go through a pretty serious transition period of feeling um, different because they were like at the top, probably 5% of their class right. in these public schools. Everyone knew they were smart. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew they were highly capable. And now they end up with hope, you know, these students who are very similar to them and even, you know, some of them higher level. And I hear that in my office quite often is I was the top and now I feel like I'm at the bottom. And so there's a lot of self-esteem and self-worth issues that come up. A lot of comparing. Yeah. Yeah. They just, again, have those high expectations for themselves and performing well and, um, you know, fear of failure where they're afraid to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And then intrinsic motivation. These kids like these gifted kids have a very strong internal drive where they want to be successful. Absolutely. Um, and then we talked about the desire for approval before yeah. as well. Well, they care about objective approval. So yes. they look for the data, right? They want the reason why. Mm-hmm. So objectively, they'll say, don't lie to me. I'm bad at this. And you'll mm-hmm. go, no, it's, what does bad even mean? No. And then you're, and then they're like, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So if we can, yeah, that objective evidence that they're not bad, especially if they are delayed, pretty earth shattering for a lot of them. Yeah. Well, and how much language I've just heard too with like their identity right, versus just parts Uh of how they approach things or parts of their brain Mm -hmm. in in their identity. Yeah. 
And they worry about making mistakes because they feel like that means that something's imperfect and it might be a reflection of their intelligence. And or their identity. Yeah. Yeah. Their identity. Mm-hmm. Their identity. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Well, you've given us a plethora yeah. of information to digest and it's so appreciated. Um, thank you again for coming out and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you for yeah, having Yeah, my us. pleasure. Here's a call to action. Think about the executive functioning components mentioned in today's episode and how they impact your student's self-esteem. Try to veer away from dichotomous language like good and bad and adopt communication that supports asynchronous development and a growth mindset. We want to thank you for joining us in this space today. Please subscribe to the Gifted Ed podcast to stay up to date with our latest episodes. Stay tuned for our next episode that continues to unpack the complexities of giftedness.